spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Ahoy, friends. You are listening to the Friday follow-up for the first time ever release of the full interview of Jay Wilds, the very first interview he ever did. We are here to talk about it today. We do not have Zach with us, but Bob and I are here to discuss all of your wonderful questions, and we're going to get that started in just a moment. I do want, I have one little clarification. You just said Jay's very first interview. I just want to put on the record that I disagree. Uh, uh-huh. The first recorded interview that's been released. There it is. The first, there we go. Yeah, real quick. I mean, we're gonna, we got so many questions. As you said, we're saying Zach today. He's on assignment. So we're going to try to get into the questions real quick. I do want to let you guys know, though, we have a new case coming up. Uh, and the yeah. timing of this is going to work out. I cannot share details. I'll, the only thing that I will tell you is that the case came to me from Rabia Chowdhury. She was listening to our follow-up last week where I had mentioned that I didn't have a case. She reached out to me and said, hey, I've got this case. It's a horrible injustice. I've been wanting to do something about it. I've been trying, but I just can't get to it. So can you take it? I'd like to have you do it on your podcast. Took the case. Loved the case. Definitely is a horrible misjustice. There's so many layers. There's some really, really, really interesting coincidences in it. And I spoke today with the person that had submitted it to her. I've already got a bunch of the case files. And I mean, this literally is breaking today. Like I haven't even talked to the case selection team yet to tell them they can stand down for now. If you're listening, case selection team, you can stand down for now. We're good, I think. The only person I haven't spoken to is the convicted. That's the last step that I need. And it and sounds like we're sure they want to do this, but I just need to confirm from this person that they are good to go and do my usual um, first interview and discussion with them about how this works and uh, give them the disclaimer of... If you did this, you don't want me to do the case because I will report it. That's exactly what I'll report. We're going to find the truth. I have no doubt in this case that uh, that's not going to be an issue. But once that happens, I've got a few more FOIAs to pull to complete the case file. And then um, we're going to be full steam ahead. But one issue I may need some help with coming up, I don't know yet. I believe the trial transcript is all paper. So I'm going to have to digitize that. And so I may raise if anybody... If anybody has like runs a printing business or something, if we have any listeners that want to help out with that, but I'll let you know. And with that being said, we can get right into. Well, before we rush into it, I just want to say goes to follow based on what you just said that Robbie is probably listening to this right now, in which case I could say hi, Robbie. 
And also, this is very exciting. And also, when I say that, I'm speaking for a ton of people in the live chat right now who all freaked out with excitement when they found out that you had recommended this case. And people are really putting the pressure on Bob just right away saying, you know, Robbie has got a real strong track record. Yeah. So you have a, an even heavier responsibility when you throw Rabia into this, this to really just like get it right. Yeah, you're welcome, Rabia. Uh, and yeah, the, the chat is full of people saying hello to you, how much they love you. And I have a few requests here to see if maybe Rob, or Susan says, would be nice to have Rabia here and there on the follow-up now and then. Maybe. I'm definitely in agreement on that. So we, we may be doing that. I, of course, that would be up to Rabia, who's very, very, very busy. Okay, now. Cool. Let's get this show on the road. Janet, it's the first time you heard this interview. Did you have any major takeaways before we get into the questions? <laughs> this sucks because now I feel like everything I say is just going to sound like I'm kissing ass, assuming Robbie is listening to this. But the problem <laughs> is, is that this is a case that they did cover on Undisclosed. And in fact, the only reason we're talking about this case right yeah. now is because of Robbie. But I do feel like I don't feel like there were a ton of surprise, not that it was meant to be a ton of surprises, but I did not feel like there were a ton of surprises for me in that I feel you and certainly undisclosed have talked at length about the content of these interviews and kind of how things play out. But there's some great feedback from listeners who, in some cases, you know, kind of drill down a little bit deeper than I did in the couple of times that I listened to it. Not unlike the Jen interview, it's just, it's so, it's just so hard to follow. Very hard to follow. And this, I don't know. There were times where I was like, they feel like this is going well, <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. Even that, like, yeah. but in your mind, you're like, but this, this is not good. This is not good. Like, no, if this is where you are having had all of these conversations and the best you can get right now is this. Wow. That's really bad. Yeah, because it's all over the, and there's contradictions and they and certainly contradictions with Jennifer. One of the next things I'm going to do, and I haven't decided when, because I, I know I want to say this. There's lots of people that are itching to get to the next case and feel that we're dragging like we're maybe dragging this out. As I said, what, part of that is this has given us a little bit of time to get ready for that. Also, I think it's critically important to have all of this information out there in one place where people can go to season 14, hear all of this. You know, it, it, it's a fresh look at the case. We've used some different investigative methods on this one than we have on this this case previously. Now you're hearing these interviews. Again, thanks to Rabia. You're hearing these interviews now for the first time. But one thing that I want to do is I have a bunch of notes that I've taken, but I actually want to take the audio so you can hear. Instead of just hearing me talk about it and explain it, mm -hmm. I want to take the audio and say, okay, here's the timeline. This is how things happen. Because you know the, the prosecutors in their part 10 that we've covered before we got into these interviews, what you know what they said was. Gutierrez at trial spent so much time on Jay's second interview, which is problematic. But, you know, really, she should have been focusing on the first one because it's Jay and Jen's first interview where they told the same story that was the nail in the coffin for Adnan. That's their claim. So what I want to do, and, and I think it will be shocking for you guys to hear it. I have I want to put together, you'll hear Jen say this is what happened at this time. And then Jay say this is what happened this time. Then Jen say this is what happened this time. Then Jay and literally mash them together in a way that you can listen how they told the same story and cool. see what you think. I don't know if I'll do that as a main episode or if I can put it together, if I'll have time to put that together and just put it out as like a bonus content. The only reason I'm bringing this up now is I want you to know that if I do it and it goes out as a Sunday main episode, a big part of the reason for that would be because I'm 
working on the new case. And that's still puts out the Sunday episode, still keeps you guys going. So you don't have a week off while we're waiting while I'm piecing that stuff together and getting, cause you know, I, the, like I said, I have a lot of the case file. I have to FOIA some more stuff. I'm probably gonna have to fight for some of the stuff that I'm going to get or going to try to get. So, so just so you know, if that happens, that's why it's happening is because I need to commit time to the new case. And it's also something I think is worth putting out there for everybody to hear. That being said, as far as this interview, there are not a lot of surprises for me, but one of the things that, that I realized when I was going through and editing it and putting it together and putting it out is because, I mean, our, our discussion page is you know, the, the official Truth and Justice podcast fans page where all our discussion happens is like going crazy with all these things that people are noticing that, that Jay had said. And it mm-hmm. occurs to me that not everyone that listens goes and reads all the case documents. So like for me, I've read this transcript from front to back and taken notes on it so many times. Like I was expecting most of what happened. There was a few little things like there's a shush in there at one point. Mm. I think I have a question about it that I that I didn't hear before and the tone of voice and things like that. But uh, yeah, I think it's, 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 it is new information for a lot of people because while there are a percentage of our audience that do go through and read the transcripts and read all these, read all the files, I would say the, the majority of people just listen. And so it, it, it's really important, I think, for now there's a place where the people that are that do just listen still have the full picture. With that being said, before we ramble on any more and more and more, let's, I think any more discussion we have can probably come out through the questions. So let's go ahead and get into them. Great. Although I'm concerned because I don't remember a question about specifically hearing a shush. So we'll see if we maybe I missed that. Okay, so just to read Jeremy's version, but I want to shout out Sarah Jean for pointing out something fairly similar. And I think this is something that uh, runs through a lot of people's questions or comments. Jeremy says, what I find interesting is that in Jennifer's interrogation, the the detectives allow her to tell what she had heard from Jay and the events from the evening in question before asking her questions about what she knows. But in Jay's interrogation, McGillivary starts firing off questions from the jump. Why would there be two totally different styles of interrogation in regards to the same events? I mean, it all depends on your on your perspective of it. It, it is a theory about that. If you're in the camp that you think that Jay's being led into this story. Again, I think it's important to point out, as I did last week, Jen's story was also workshopped, not necessarily in a nefarious way, but they sat down at her attorney's office or house, actually, and worked through this whole story, did this whole pre-interview and, to, and figured all this stuff out first, then sat down and recorded the interview. Many people last week pointed out Jen sounds like she's reading. I personally believe she is. I don't necessarily think that's like a terrible thing. If what was happening there was she told the story, they made sure they wrote all the notes, she had everything down, and then now they're putting it on the record. That could be what it was. But it, but I agree, it does sound like she's reading a lot of it at the beginning. In this world, if you're in the belief that you know, Jay doesn't have an attorney and they are making Jay change the story, and again, I'll point out in the second interview that they have said he changed the story because they showed him information and that caused him to change his story and you can do with that whatever you want in that case i think they have to they already have jen on the record and as i've said before also jen's not playing the game jen has an attorney they literally cannot talk to jen because she is represented by attorney they have to go through her attorney so they're stuck with jen's version of events and i think because of that if you believe that that's what's going on here that's why the different interrogation technique is they're not letting Jay ramble on. They're interrupting him. They're asking questions. They're prompting him. They're leading him because they need him to stay somewhat close to 
what they already have on the record. Because otherwise, if he goes off on a tangent, and I don't think they were particularly paying attention to details that we've caught in, you know, since then, but the air quotes basic story, they're trying to keep him on track, I think, mm-hmm. is why you see the different tactics. Mm-hmm. And Nick just pointed out in regards to you talking about the transcripts and reading the transcripts versus actually getting to hear the interview in earnest. Nick pointed out that he says that the transcripts and the interview don't even line up in some places. And on Facebook today, he posted two pics showing a difference, a discrepancy between what's in the transcripts and what's in the interview. I have not looked at that yet, but I didn't see that post, but I did see that someone because I thought I heard it, too, but I was you know listening through the when I was posting it. But at one point, remember we talked about when we covered Jay's first interview that he said when they asked, like, what was Adnan's demeanor? And he said he was probably calm, cool and collected. Mm hmm. When I heard the transcript now, it's escaping me right now, the verbiage he uses, but the transcript says he says probably, but when Jay says it, it he, I don't think he says probably, and I, and I had it right on the tip of my tongue. It'll come to mm. me later, but it wasn't that ambiguous. It wasn't, he was probably, it was something like, no, nah, he was just calm. It was something like that. He didn't say mm. the word probably. So that was, it, there were some mistakes in the transcript. Um, yeah. Caroline's in there, too, that says that she noticed uh, there are many transcription errors, which is a big deal if you're trying to do statement analysis. Right. I mean, that probably yeah. is the different is a huge word in yeah. your statement analysis. So well, and, and that one in the probably I made a big deal about that when I was re- when we went That's through it. Is, yeah. If you're recalling an event, you wouldn't say probably probably is a hypothetical. Exactly. Right? But he didn't say probably. So that kind of null null and voids that part of the statement. analysis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly right. Oh, okay. surprise! Chrissy said it. He says surprisingly. He says ah, su- surprisingly. Totally different. Yeah, surprisingly calm, cool, and collected. And I have to go back through and really listen closely. But I do re- when someone made that post, I do remember thinking like I remember when I was listening through that part that it didn't sound like he said probably. Hmm. Caroline says, just so you know, what I tried to do with the questions was create a sort of chronology of my own, a little timeline, if you will, since timelines are of the essence with this case, to try to hit on things in a specific way. So this is sort of another general comment about the interview itself and the kind of differences we see with the interview with Jay. Caroline says the detectives clearly walk through the explanation and then waiver of rights with Jay on the tape. Why isn't this done with Jen? I realize her attorney is there, but that still doesn't negate the anything you can or say could be used against you. What is the difference between a statement and an interview questioning in the law enforcement world? And also wondering if, you know, some of these questions dig a little too deep. Could we find a good defense attorney for a special Friday follow up to help kind of comb through some of the things that have come up for people with in in terms of like legalities and and that kind of thing? So I believe the difference is a common misconception from people watching TV is that, you know, if you get arrested, you're immediately read your rights and arrested. And and that that has to be done. I've, I've had people tell me, like, I got arrested for DUI and they didn't read me my rights. So it's invalid. That's not the case. You don't have to be Mirandized unless you are being questioned as a suspect. Jennifer was not being questioned as a suspect. So think back to those of you that have been longtime listeners of the Jennifer Jeffley case. They interviewed her for hours and hours and hours mm-hmm. because they claimed she's not a suspect. Mm-hmm. She was she was being interviewed as a witness. They'll say she was free to go at any time. She was not a suspect, and therefore, she does not need to be Mirandized. Jay was picked up, brought in. He was not free to go, and he was a suspect. 
and therefore he would be Mirandized. So that so I assume that's the reason why, because Jennifer was interviewed as a witness. Jay was interviewed as a suspect. But you would imagine that part of the conversation that would have to happen with the attorney on that would be, hey, we realize that you're implicating yourself for conceal helping to conceal a crime and helping to get rid of evidence in a crime. So that's way more than being a witness if we're taking your story. So you would imagine, again, that like part of the conversation would have to be, it's cool. It's fine. You help yeah. get rid of some stuff. You never told anyone this happened. Don't worry about that. Yeah. and. Like somebody used the word Susan used in the, the live chat trickery. And that's what it is. Like in many of our cases, the cops will do this. Like they'll they'll get around that by claiming they weren't a suspect. But the reality is so like the crime Jen could be charged with would be like an accessory after the fact or, you know, they were they never had any intention of charging her with that crime. And she's not a suspect in the murder. They didn't have intention of charging her with that crime. As we learned from Jay's attorney back and, and undisclosed you know they were threatening jay with the death penalty they were like he was a suspect they were they were threatening to charge him with with the crime and i think that's how they got around it yeah and i would say in terms of cadence and tone and i know you know we're not supposed to judge a ton of stuff by that so i'm not saying this is like proof of anything but i will say that he comes in so confident when they're telling him you know as we've established you're, you don't have a lawyer with you. You're waiving all your rights. And he sounds so that's one of the places he sounds the most rehearsed to me where he's like, yes, I do understand that. Yes, I I'm very well spoken. I understand that I am waiving my rights. Mm-hmm. We have talked about this. And that really, to me, again, just an opinion and not proof of anything. But that really lends itself to this idea of when things start to break down in various interviews with Jay, where he's like, wait a minute, as you'll hear in this Sunday's episode. In the second, when 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 they start really coming after him, and he's like, "I don't understand this, this line of questioning. Can we stop for a minute?" You know, he's like, "Wait, whoa, 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 what's going on here?" Yeah, yeah, okay. So, and then the other question that that Caroline, who by the way also posted her timelines that she's been working on on Facebook, so those are also mm-hmm. on there where you can track. And it's it's such a labor of love. My goodness, there's a lot of work that's gone into that to try to again, as we've all said before, try to make sense of yeah. these stories. So the other question had just been about, would there be an opportunity to have a defense attorney kind of come in and speak to anything that we don't feel like we've wrapped our heads around? I would say right now I feel pretty good about kind of where we are with understanding how these interviews happened and the content. But I always like the idea of having a a guest speaker to come in and talk about their expertise. Yeah, when we have specific questions like that, for sure. Great. Factors delicious, ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. Whatever you got going on this week, be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie-smart, vegan plus veggie, and more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. And let me tell you, these Factor meals really are lifesavers. As some of you may know, my dad was in the hospital a couple weeks ago. So for five days, I was on the go every minute, making sure things were taken care of at his house and taking my mom to and from the hospital to visit. Thankfully, we had just loaded up on Factor meals, and I ended up actually splitting them with my mom so we could stay fueled up with restaurant-quality meals every day that were ready in literally two minutes. Just heat and eat, and you will be shocked at how delicious these things are. With Factor, you can check out a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. And Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. 
It's the perfect solution if you're looking for fast upscale options done easy. And Factor is flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. These are no prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, and there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. So if you want to check them out, and I highly recommend that you do, head to factormeals.com truth50 and use code truth50 to get 50% off your first box and two free wellness shots per box while subscription is active. That's code truth50 at factormeals.com truth50 to get 50% off your first box and two free wellness shots per box while subscription is active. Emily says when Jay is talking about finding out the police want to interview him, he says he asks Adnan, what did you get me wrapped up in? Why would he say he asked Adnan this? It makes zero sense. I feel like the officer should have followed up with something along the lines of, what do you mean, what did he get you wrapped up in? You saw a body and helped him bury it on the 13th. What else would it be? Yeah, I, it, that's one of many just complete nonsensical things that Jay says in this interview. As you said, you helped bury a body. Then like, what'd you get me wrapped up in? Yeah. Helping bury a body. Like, you know what yeah. you got wrapped up in. Yeah. Larry says, did you notice that both Jay and Jen leave out one thing that should be a big point? One, an honest Jen would probably say Jay had me drive him around during the crazy ice storm to get rid of his clothes, yet she didn't even mention it. Two, a truthful Jay would probably say we were in a tight time window because I had to take him to track practice at four so he could be seen. He never talked about the urgency to get him back to school. Those two things alone tell me they're each lying. Again, just a couple of things within... You know, and yeah, we talked 100%. about the yeah, we talked about the um the ice storm thing last week too a little bit that yeah, but the track no thing's a big deal it. too. Another yeah. one is the phone call, right? Like the phone call that came in, like he was puking. I was you know all the different details. There was snow on the ground, which we know there wasn't snow on the ground. No mention. So like the main like points of the state's case didn't exist in this interview. In his first interview, he didn't say. I had to hurry up and get get him back to track practice so we could create an alibi. That wasn't part of this narrative. There was no, he put me on the phone with Nisha to create an alibi. That right. wasn't part of this narrative. The phone call came in, the Leakin Park pings. That wasn't part of this narrative. Like none of those big memorable things were part of this story. Right. They, two weeks later in the interview that you're going to hear on Sunday, that's when all of that stuff comes in. And I think we, we've talked about it. We've read it. For those of you that read the transcripts, now you'll hear it. When I keep saying that that second interview was not Jay's story, it was McGillivary's story. When you hear it, you'll hear exactly what I'm talking about. He is putting all of that stuff in there. Like, you took him back. Was there some kind of an event? Was it, He was trying to create an alibi. These are all suggestions by McGillivary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And Caroline says, let's not forget, Best Buy wasn't part of the narrative. Yeah. I mean, so if you're going to try to say that this is the basic story or that, that the bones are here, you can really only be saying... Jay had the car on the phone. He says Adnan called him to get picked up. And then somehow he saw a body. And then somehow he he was part of it being buried in Lincoln Park. Is that sort of what they get to? Yeah. So when we get into all the way to the end of the reply brief series, you've heard it, the final episode, like that's their basic story. Like, like the way that the that like Brett and Alice are able to tie this all together is the basic story is he gave him his car and phone. There was a call. There was a trunk pop. They buried the body. 
and dropped him off like that. They both said that part, you know, so mm-hmm. that's a basic story. And they just try to breeze past everything that's wrong. And for example, we heard this in part 10, you know, where Brett says, you know, the locations stay the same. But it's when we all heard that, we're like, what the what do you what do you mean? Right. Like, that's the very basic part that is it. Like, right. He said it happened on the strip. She said it happened at Best Buy. Like, the locations are not the same. You know, Nothing's the, the, the same. Lo- the location that has to stay the same is where the body is. Right. Because you yeah. can't change that. Right. Beyond that. Uh... Everything else is wrong. Right. Okay. Amber says, thoughts on Jay saying Adnan told him that Hay was trying to say something and then he strangled her. To me, one of Jay's biggest non-phone record related lies is that absolutely could not have happened. Adnan would have had no way to pin down her arms in her car. So if she was conscious and able to speak, she would have fought for her life, scratching Adnan's face, neck and hands. If he wasn't wearing those gloves with a winky emoji. These scratches on Adnan would have been evident to their friends and teachers. Am I right or am I right that this is absurd? And Shannon, I'm going to follow this up because it's all part and parcel, says, did Hay have any evidence of being conscious when she was killed? You've talked about this a little, but any evidence she could have been kicking or talking scratches on her own neck or, you know, any other any other indication that any consciousness was evident during that process. Yeah. So you'll hear this for those of you that are on Patreon. The patrons obviously have already heard it. But in the final episode, I talk about my theory of the case. But I'll, I'll touch on this here now because you're talking about, yeah, marks on Adnan. There would be marks on Hay, too. Like, I fully believe that Hay was knocked unconscious and she was strangled when she was unconscious. I fully believe that. There's no way that she would not. I mean, that, that, that's these are common things, right? When somebody's strangled, you commonly will see scratch marks all over the neck. And it's because your 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 reaction when, some, when something is cutting off your airway is reaching for it and fighting for it. There's no marks on her neck at all. There's no indication she was trying to get hands off of her throat. There was none of that is is present. So, yeah, I agree. There's there's no way that that statement's true either. There are a lot of comments from this week from people like Christine and Nick and Laura and Kristen. Uh, I'm going to read Christine's. But coming back to the snow on the ground thing, Jay mentions snow on the ground as they're burying hay. Was there snow on the ground on the 13th? What about the day her body was discovered and crime scene photos taken? I don't think there was when the crime scene photos were taken. I'm not positive about that. I'll have to go back and look at that. But there definitely wasn't on the and, – and somebody had commented that the old Reddit crowd is going again and they're putting up like pictures that I had posted like nine, eight years ago. So there's – because of the nasty ice storm the next day, there's tons of video footage and stuff from Baltimore from that showing the cars. And in that, you can see the ground. Like you can you can see grass everywhere. And weirdly, the I guess the people on Reddit now are going, look – what an idiot Bob is. He put this picture up saying there's no snow on the ground and clearly there is snow on the ground. And they're right. There is some. So like where the snow plows had gone through, like mm-hmm. from the weeks before when it was snowing, before mm-hmm. they had the, this string of 50 plus degree days mm-hmm. and there was like piles of snow right up against the edge of the, the road. Yeah, there's a little bit of snow left there and in areas like right behind a pine tree. There's little patches of snow that still exist. But the overwhelming majority of the ground is is grass and where Hay's body was buried. There's no pine tree. I've been there there's, there and we've seen the crime scene, but there's no pine trees there. There is, it's, it's not a shaded area. It's a sparse woods, right? So like hardwoods spread out far apart. These are trees that had no leaves on them. There's no way there was a, a what Jay is describing, which is like the ground is covered in snow and that's how he could see that absolutely not the case or there's photographic proof that that is not the case 
on that day. There was no snow on the ground. All right. Well, that's that's handy because Janine, it really in just the effort to be fair, Janine had posted Baltimore public record shows four inches of snow fell on January 8th. Then there was only two days above freezing before the 13th, which was also a warm day. Depending on how shady Lincoln Park is, it's conceivable that there could be snow on the ground. It's a decent amount that may not have all melted yet. Janine is not saying that this tips her in any direction at all, but in an effort to sort of want to represent any element of fairness. I appreciate that you posted that, but it sounds like you've kind of put that to bed. Yeah, I mean, we have we have photographic evidence, first of all, and also so four inches is not that much snow to begin with. Also, uh, people don't always realize it doesn't the temperature doesn't have to be above freezing to melt the snow, like literally the sunlight beating on it will start to evaporate some of it off the top. It'll compact it down. And then you have two full days. And if I'm not mistaken, even overnight, so like 48 hours straight of temperatures above freezing and then and not just a little bit above freezing it was like 55 degrees that day and we just went through something similar to, to put it in perspective we had a foot and a half of snow here and then this week here in michigan and and this week we're having these weird like 47 degree days the snow's gone all mm-hmm. of it 18 inches in some places a foot to 18 inches of snow is gone it's still been freezing at night but it's been in the 40s and sunny during the day for these last few days and the snow is gone so i have no doubt four inches of snow with two full days and nights above freezing that snow would be absolutely gone and then again we can back that up with the actual photos we have of that day gotcha and caroline says the moon also didn't rise until like 3 a.m that morning so there was actually nothing even to reflect off of the snow right Lori says, I wish the police had asked Jay why they needed to move Hayes' car and body from the park and ride or why they picked that location initially. If I'm understanding the timeline correctly, they go to McDonald's after the park and ride, and that's when detectives call Adnan. Then Adnan decides they have to go back to the park and ride to bury the body and ditch the car. Why wouldn't Adnan just leave everything at the park and ride, especially if the cops are actively looking for her and her car? Just seems so risky to add all these extra steps with her body and driving the car around. Yeah, I I mean without without belaboring the point the story's nonsense mm-hmm. that's why we posted this interview is for people to be able to sort of pick apart some of the crazier things to continue to sort of bolster the idea of like does this make sense is this nail in the coffin all right here we are we have come to nick's ambitious post saying the burial makes no sense can you go over each step that jay explains the parking the walking the digging and the driving to hide the car i have questions i can ask in the live if we go through this yeah so one thing he mentioned nick mentioned in the live earlier before we started recording was like the walk back to the car how can it, yeah so and I, and I tried to piece this together when we did the statement analysis but it is such a it, as you said it's hard to even understand what he's saying happened what i got out of it is that they pull up to the spot where adnan's gonna bury Hayes' body he parks and then jay continues and drives up around the corner, all the way around the corner, so far that Adnan can't see the car because Adnan thought he left. And then Adnan gets out and gets Hayes' body out and then drags her body all the way back to the spot where they buried her, left her body there, and then comes back out, walks, and Jay says, I think he he says 15 minutes at one point. I think at one point he says, I don't remember which interview, 15 to 30 minutes. He's waiting there. Adnan comes back. He thinks that he left him. They argue again. Adnan throws up out there on the road, and then they go back to bury the body. As far as like the sensibility of that story, I mean, so he doesn't need help dragging her body 127 feet back into the woods, but he does need help digging the hole. None of it makes 
any sense. And in Jay's version, it wasn't like he was supposed to wait and go back and bury it. The shovels and picks are in the car Jay's in, not the car Adnan's in. It's all really, really weird. And so Nick's in the live chat now. He says, you know, Adnan walks all the way to Jay and then tells Jay he needs him to take him back there, back where. So Nick, what he's talking about is to go back to where he had left Hay laying in the woods. That's so strange. Vicky says, around the 27-minute mark, they're discussing Hay's body in the grave. McGillivary asks, describe to me how she is positioned. Jay then describes how she looks. They are using present tense. I know that they use present tense a lot throughout the interview, but this section felt jarring. It sounded to me like he was being asked to describe a photograph. Maybe this is my bias showing and I'm reading more into this conversation, but that's how that struck her and I get it. Yeah, I noticed the same thing. And that's and weirdly, that's one of the things that I didn't pick up on when I was reading it, but I did pick up on when I heard it because what she's saying, you know, so he's supposed to describe his position, body position in, in the burial site. Right. But they're not saying how was she positioned? All the questions are asking are, as she said, in present tense, how is she positioned? How is she? And again, it could be reading tea leaves. But as she as she pointed out, if they're looking at a picture right now, that make then those would be the word choices you would choose, right? How is she positioned? Which direct you know all those questions they were asking being in the present tense. It's certainly not proof positive of anything, but it is definitely to me an indication that they're looking at photos. And also, the like the, the extreme specificity. Like again, you if you're on the guilty side and you believe Jay's bullshit, you've got to square a bunch of stuff. He knows that she was wearing taupe stockings. He knows she doesn't have her shoes on. He knows what color her shirt, what color her jacket is or sweater, exactly how she's positioned, how her arm was positioned. He knows all these. He remembers all these details. Doesn't remember where he saw her body in the trunk. Doesn't remember where they were when the call came into the police. Like, you got to square all that. Like, none of it adds up. Right. But the excuse on that is he's protecting someone like you. They just go back to like, <clears throat> no, we're not saying he doesn't remember. We're saying his very good reasons for changing those aspects of the story because he's protecting people. Right. But right? Who? I mean, that's sort of the I don't know. Right. <laughs> I mean, the, don't ask me, Jen. In his second interview, he says that Jen knew the murder was going to happen beforehand, like could have stopped it. He ropes her all the way back into that. Who is he protecting by saying the trunk pop happened on Edmonton Avenue as opposed to Best Buy? And his response to that is, oh, well, I thought there'd be cameras at Best Buy. What? If you thought there was cameras, then you would know that they fucking know that that's what do you mean? That's your reason for saying it happened somewhere yeah. else? People will say that. And what they like to do is be very vague about that. Well, yeah, he obviously he lied. He's protecting himself. Obviously he lied. He's distancing himself. He doesn't. There's no utility in changing those locations. There's no utility in it. It doesn't make him less culpable. It doesn't protect anybody like him changing that location doesn't protect Jen. And then we see we know now pretty conclusively that they weren't at Christie's that night. And yet when the police think the phone was over over by Christie's, what does he do? Throws Christie right. at Yeah, yeah, we were overhanging at Christie's. Like he wasn't protecting her. He was happy to include her when he thought he had to due to the cop's mistake. Right. He's not protecting anyone. Right. Nick, you're asking all of your questions back to the part of the interview where he's talking about the car and the burying and all of that. And I'm sorry that I'm not keeping up with it because there's a lot of comments in between. But this I, last one, though, yeah. I will address. I yeah. do want to address it. That's Nick why says, I decide. To, yeah. Yeah. He says, how does Jay text Jen at seven o'clock? 
when he and Adnan are driving separate cars. And that's one of the things that, right, it doesn't jive, like his story doesn't jive with the phone records. The whole, as we've said over and over again, and I really hammer on in the later episodes you're going to hear on the reply brief, that page completely disproves the seven o'clock, the Lincoln Park Ping's burial, right? So they're supposed to be in separate cars, but what we see is from the same place, from the same tower in the same sector, you see Adnan call Yasser. Well, the phone calls Yasser, who only Adnan knows at 6.59. And then one minute later, the phone calls Jen's pager at seven o'clock from that same place all the way up by Woodlawn. So at that point, they're together, right? We see the, a call to someone only Adnan knows, a call to someone only Jay knows. They're together in the car way up there, which means they have not gone to get Hay's car yet. And nine minutes later is supposed to be the call where Jen calls during the burial. It's like eight or nine minute drive just to go get Hayes' car. Then, then listen, like the driving around, finding a spot, parking, Jay driving up, Adnan dragging the body, coming back, getting him, arguing, them going back into the woods. Then they're digging. That's when the Leakin Park ping comes. So there's like an hour of stuff between that page and when the call came in. But on the phone records, there's only eight minutes between them. The call to Jen's pager ended at 7.01 and at 7.09 is the Leakin Park pings when they're in the middle of burying the body. Those two cannot be true. But Bob, it doesn't matter if they're true. How do you get around the fact that Jay says it happened? <laughs> right. When I said like we're like this is a different approach to looking at the case is we really I've leaned into during this whole reply brief series looking at like, okay, let's forget about what he's saying and let's look at what can we prove with cell site locations and Google Maps, right? Okay, we know the phone's here at this time. We know it's here at these are outgoing calls here at this time, here at this time. How much time is in between those? Eight minutes. What has to happen in those eight minutes? They got to drive nine minutes to go get the car. They got to drive another five minutes to the burial site if they went straight there. But that's not what he says. But even if they went straight there and then they got to drag Hay back into the woods. And then and then according to Jay, then there has to be him walking back out, getting him going. like it's impossible. It's literally impossible. So th- to that point, Nick, how does he text Janet seven when he and Adnan are driving separate cars? Good question, but the wrong question, because. The fact is, how does he page Jen from from near Woodlawn High School at seven o'clock and Adnan call Yasser at six fifty nine from that same location? And they're in the middle of burying the body at seven oh nine at Legan Park. Yeah. And this isn't supposition. These are these are cold, hard facts. Yeah. We know where the phone was and what it was doing at seven oh one p.m. And so there's no fucking way it's even in the remote, the remotest possible scenario that they're burying the body at 7.09. Yeah, 100%. Moving on, Janiah says, and I just, honestly, I know exactly what you're going to say as I do about some of these questions, but this is kind of a fun one. Uh, Janiah says, at 29.08, Jay ditched a cigarette and flung it in the hole. Can't help but be frustrated that combing the scene for a cigarette and DNA testing it could have confirmed or denied his whole story. Bob, did they comb the scene for evidence and did they find a cigarette right there that they could have DNA tested? They certainly did sift through, again, as I point out when other people like to say, well, it's not like they sifted through the evidence. They pulled fibers and hair out of that dirt. They sifted through everything in there with a fine tooth comb. And what they didn't find in there was a cigarette butt. Shad says around the 32 minute mark, Jay describes the area where the car was left, row houses, parking lot, West Baltimore City, etc. Is this an accurate description of where the car was actually found? 
Yeah. So he, he describes, he doesn't put those together, right? So when he, when they first ask him about the car, he describes the location, the area, right? And again, so, you know, you can believe what you want, but what he's describing is something you could see from the pictures. It's in this grassy parking area by these row homes, something you can easily explain to him. But then later they're asking where it's at, but they don't ever ask him specifically where it's at. And he just says it's on the west side of Baltimore City. So he never gets specific about where it's at, what road it's off of, anything like that. Right. Laura says, did Jay say he threw his clothes away in his home trash bin? Seems to be one more just glaring example of how Jay and Jen's stories don't align. Yes. And that's one of the things that I talked about, like piecing together, like how they're both telling the same story, how Jay says he threw it away in his trash can. And Jen says that she picked him up the next day, which would have been in the middle of the ice storm. And he had him in a bag or he didn't have in a bag. I would have seen him. So it wasn't a bag. But then we went to a dumpster and then we threw it away in a dumpster. Not the same. Right. Catherine says throughout the interview, it seems like Jay either offers or is asks about a lot of things that were already known or assumed by police, like her clothing, the red gloves, the location and position of her burial, the wiper lever being dislodged, the presence of shoes, but the absence of purse, etc. Like the police are having him walk through the the major items of evidence. Are there any changes between what police knew or assumed at the time of this interview and facts known by the second interview that Jay changes to match beyond the cell evidence? No, it's it's stuff like that, right? Like like describing. Hay's position in the grave and what she was wearing. Like even when he talks about like Adnan put the shoes back in the car. As I said way back, when you're doing a statement analysis for interviews like this, particularly if you think you're listening to a false confession or something or a coerced confession, is what information did the suspect offer that the police didn't already know? And in this case, it's nothing. He what he offers is a timeline to try to explain what they already knew which he gets horribly wrong and then completely changes in the next interview. But yeah, all those things, like the police knew what they found at the grave. They knew what was inventory. They knew what was what was still on Hayes' body. They knew, and they knew what was in her car. You know, it's another indication to me, the whole him, you know, he knew Adnan took the shoes for some reason and put them back in the car. If you're one of those people that doesn't believe that the police already knew where the car was, maybe Jay's just got a really good memory. But that, to me, is another indication they'd already been through that car. They knew the, they knew the shoes were in the car. Right. And then Emily and Teresa both pointed out, doesn't Jay say the gloves are gray in this interview? That's what they heard. And then there's even a double down of like gray with leather pads or something. I thought I heard gray too. And then I was like, oh, I guess I'm, I guess I mis- misheard that. And then I saw your maybe questions, ladies, to, and I thought, hmm. Maybe I'll have to re-listen. And I, I might be blending the two together, the first and second interview, because I'm working on the second interview right now. But I know in one of them, he says, they're like, is there anything else you want to add? And he says, yeah, he was wearing these red gloves and he says red gloves. Yeah. Um, but I'll have to listen again to see if he says gray earlier in the. In yeah, the it's, it's earlier on, unless I'm mistaken. I, I think I'm speaking for Emily and Teresa as well, that it sort of comes more incidentally. It doesn't I don't think it's the same interview or it's certainly not the same place in which he because he does make a big deal about the red gloves. This is more incidental. Right. It seems like he's like, yeah, he's just had these great gloves on, blah, blah, blah. And, and Janaya then follows up with, a big deal was made about the red gloves. Jay eagerly remembers to go back and be sure to hit this point, as you just mentioned. But don't the autopsy and scene reports state a blue colorless or colorless fiber and an orange fluorescent fiber? So I'd like, have to go back and review it. Which it doesn't seem, yeah. I mean, I don't feel like the police seem that interested in the red gloves thing. It just seems like it's really important to Jay for some reason. I know by trial they presented as though there were red fibers, well, so maybe they maybe they changed that for trial. But I thought I thought that yeah, it could have just been by trial. Maybe maybe in the inventory it's described as 
Kathy says, not yeah. Red. Kathy says he did say gray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then somebody above there said, uh, I lost it, but somebody said that they said like gray with gray and red. Let's talk about flipping the tape for a second. A couple of really interesting comments from people about that. Robert says, when they are about to stop the interview to turn the tape over, they say it's 2.09. And then when they restart, they say it's 2.10, which would have meant no time to speak to Jay. Were the officers able to just make up the times or were there any timestamps to check if the times they say are correct? You're supposed to trust them. So it's, a, it's an audio tape. Like we went through this in the Pinion Pines case where they're doing the time drive and they say it's 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 908 and I'm passing this light and it's 910 and I'm passing this light. Like we take his word for it. That's what's happening. It's not a video. In this case, that's what they said. There's no evidence. There's no way to, to stamp or know what it is. Like I said what, at the beginning of the episode, what I know is they stopped that tape 15 minutes before it ended when they said that it was two minutes away from ending weirdly in the second interview, they do the same thing, but that time it is, it's, it's like an hour in and they're like, Oh, we're about two minutes left in this tape. We're going to stop it. And it was, I can see in the audio waves that it was about, you know, at the end of the tape, what I don't know. And there was another question about this and maybe you're about to ask it, but I am, uh, I promise you, I am. Can I ask it? Go ahead. Okay. Michael says, what, if anything, did you make of the double start of the last part of the interview after the tape was flipped? Might they have started the interview and then decided to restart and record over what they had previously done? Also, it seemed to me that there was enough room left on the tape that the full interview could have been recorded on one side. Was the tape rewound so that the last part of the interview started on the beginning of side two or the last part of the interview start 12 minutes in as if they just flipped the tape and then just immediately started recording without rewinding back to the beginning of the other side? That second part was what I was going to get at. And I don't have the answer to it because the audio file. So I've done this in police stations where I've had to record from a tape into digital media. And that's, you know, you hook up your recorder. There's no way to like dub it. You just plug it in. You hit record on your computer and hit play and just let it go until it stops. You're not listening to it. Or maybe you can listen to it. But and that's what happened there. You can see the artifacts from the tape and it goes until it stops right at the same spot where Jen stopped. But the other side and I may not ask Robbie, she may have the original from that, but the other side, whoever gave them that digital version of it just has it cut just for those nine or 10 minutes or whatever there is there. So hmm. like there's no, whatever was left at the end has already been cut off. So I can't see, or, and if there was anything at the beginning, I can't see. Cause what, if they just flipped it right away, you should be, you should see those 15 minutes of dead audio at the beginning of the other side. Right. Before it starts. But unfortunately, like whatever's before and after it is is cut off of that audio. So I can't see it on that. As far as the start and stop, I don't know. It's weird. And I didn't even think about if they started it and then like taped over it. I was racking my brain. I'm like, what? I don't understand when he because he hits record and he says, all right, we're restarting the interview. We're picking back up. Uh, We should tell you something like we should make sure this thing works before we do it. And then the tape stops and then the tape's back on. And then they started again. I don't know. There was something mechanical happened there, right? So they like stopped it and restarted it. Or I wish I had the answer to you. It's weird. I don't know what it means. I don't know. Maybe it was a microphone they like flipped off and back on as possible. I don't know if it was just like a tape recorder sitting there, if it was like a tape recorder with a little microphone. And maybe it was like they hit record and the mic was on. And they're like, is this thing on? They like flip it off and back on and make sure that the hmm. microphone's on before they start. I don't know. Hmm. Okay. Last couple of things. Janiah says, I'd love to know what Bob observed or if his thoughts, opinions have changed listening to Jen and Jay's interviews a decade later. No, not really, because I have heard them before. I didn't air them before, but I had this audio back in 2015. 
So I've heard it before. I've actually sat with Jim and Laura when they did the statement analysis on it that you have you hear during season one. But also, to be honest, I haven't sat down and really focused and listened to it again. So like what I've done is, you know, I didn't take out any background noise or anything because I don't want to I don't want to risk removing some artifact that is there. Same thing with Jay's second interview you're going to hear on Sunday with the taps in it. I could have done like a noise reduction to get rid of like the hum in the background, but I don't want any accusation of, you know, that it was manipulated. Yeah. So I left all that in there. So really what I'm doing is I'm I'm listening closely for things that I need to redact, like the beeps that you hear in there and piecing it together and and putting it out. But no, there wasn't any any real big surprises for me. I learned more when I was doing the statement analysis on the transcripts, like things that Neither I or I don't think anybody has ever caught before, like the fact that Jay says that he dropped Adnan off at the front of the school in the front circle catches like that. Those things were surprising to me that I'd missed those before. But listening. No, that being said, I'm still in the middle of the second one. Mm -hmm. And then Chrissy Marie says, can we please go back to the NCIC searches? I can't get past the feeling that they play an integral role in this case. Is there any more information on them? The precinct where they originated? Is there a connection between where the searches originated to where the car was found? Or maybe to February 24th when Jay says he came across it during his commute? They have to mean something. It doesn't seem normal to run a random tag number at two random times on the same day. Was one of the alternate suspects tied to the area of the NCIC searches? It's off topic, but the yeah. NCIC comes up almost every week from in one way yeah. or another. I can go back and look at it again. I didn't put much focus into it because if memory serves, the investigators that worked on the HBO doc were able to chase that down and confirm that that was just somebody either inputting it into the system or it was somebody just starting their beat and, and we're checking to see what's that car we're looking for or something like that. I don't know. I'll, I'll do this. I will look into it again. But I haven't looked in much into it because it seemed like it turned into kind of nothing. To me, the more interesting thing is the report that was brought out during the Undisclosed podcast where they noted that under vehicle, it was noted that that part of the case was solved. I don't yeah. know if you remember that. Yeah, there's I like do. A, yeah, that where they had noted in the report that they'd found it. And then that tied in with, as we've mentioned before, the, the news report where the police public information officer is giving the press release. And unfortunately, the way they cut it together, instead of hearing him talk, the reporter is just saying, so there's a margin of error there, that Hayes' car had been found and that was a key detail that had been withheld from the public until they found out who did it. Those things kind of were more interesting to me than the, the NCIC searches. Are we going to talk at all about the whole motorcycle thing? Do you know what no, I'm talking I'm about? Because if those guys didn't bring it up on theirs, I guess there's nothing to bring up in the reply brief. But that's a very interesting thing that yeah, just was found. We talked about it back during season one. It wasn't part of the reply brief because it wasn't obviously wouldn't be part of the prosecutor's narrative. We were talking about it was it was there was a question about did anybody get the reward money mm -hmm. and that Jay had bought a motorcycle shortly after this and, mm -hmm. and, and essentially that's what we know about it. Like we don't really have any any further answers. About well, there were notes there. If I'm not mistaken, there were police notes that referenced a conversation about a motorcycle and a motorcycle that was yeah, for sale. You're right. Um, I feel like there's, yeah, there's some meat there, but you can always listen to Undisclosed for that too. Yeah, they, they covered it in detail. And I think I, I'm sure I talked about it. It's eight years out of my brain right now. So I don't remember all those details, but I remember we did discuss it ad nauseum. Yeah. And that's all I have for this week. Awesome. Well, thank you for filling in for both yourself and for Zach. For those of you listening to this, hopefully um, 
Hopefully the audio sounds okay after my recording snafu because the first part of it is going to be coming off of our stream and the second part will be coming off of my soundboard. Maybe it'll be great. Maybe it'll What all a be wild great. ride. What a wild ride today has been oh. for so many technical reasons. It's been yeah. a lot of fun. Just looking over and seeing that Caroline posted that regarding the timing of the second interview, I noticed for the first time that there are three hours between when Jay signs the waiver of rights and the start time stated in the transcript. What? So. In the second interview, not the one we just heard. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Put I, a pin I, in that. I, Keep that in mind. For sure. Uh, well, that will wrap things up. And with all the technical difficulties between what you're hearing here and what the fun things the patrons are going to deal with this week, I blame Zach. Zach, it turns out I work better than <laughs> Zach. We all do. Here. Yeah. We all do. So we're going to go ahead and wrap this thing up. Thank you all for listening and for joining us in the live chat. Make sure you tune in on Sunday for the first time that anyone has ever heard in the general public, Jay's full audio of his second official recorded interviews and for you patrons since you're getting the same episode as the main feed this week you guys get an early drop i'm going to drop that on saturday for you guys so you'll all get the same thing you'll just get it just a little bit earlier great Um, so i'll have that out to you on saturday and with that we're going to wrap this thing up thanks guys we'll talk to you next week thanks everybody Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production. All music for the show is created and composed by Shane Yoder at PutThemInASong.com. The font you see on all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com designed, created, manages, and maintains our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our volunteer transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Courtney Wimberly, Erica Cantor, Melissa Cardenas, Kay Wood-Yomnik, and Danielle Rohr. And as always, thank you to all of you for your engagement and your support. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that in a number of ways. The number one way for you to support our work is to become a patron at patreon.com slash truthandjustice. If you join our Patreon, not only will you be financially supporting our work, but you'll also get something for your pledge. For just $5 per month, you'll get all episodes ad-free and also a video version of the Friday follow-ups that include an hour-long pre-show chat exclusive to our patrons. Other levels will get you a Truth and Justice Army t-shirt, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host a Friday follow-up episode. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice to sign up. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. It doesn't cost you a penny, and it goes a long way towards making the show more visible. If you have a case that you'd like us to consider covering, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page, follow us on Instagram, or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at Bob Ruff Truth, Janet can be found at Janet Varney, and Zach is at Z to the Q. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice.